Support for WGLT's Grow comes from FS Custom Turf by Evergreen FS. FS Custom Turf offers complete lawn and tree care services to preserve the health of yards, trees, and shrubs. Products and services detailed at evergreen-fs.com. Welcome to Grow. I'm Sarah Nardi. Today, Patrick Murphy and I are going to talk about the bane of summer existence, the perennial albatross around our necks, that thing that just has to get done over and over and over again. Patrick, what are we talking about? Unfortunately, we're talking about mowing grass. Mowing grass. I'm tired of it. Me too. You know, annually people with lawns spend at least 70 hours annually pushing, driving, pulling a lawnmower to care for their lawns. I bet it's more than that. That seems pretty conservative. It does. It feels endless. If you live in a seasonal climate like here in the prairie, you'll mow about 30 times per season, 35 if you're really particular or have like a little golf green in your backyard. I've, I've met these people. Mm-hmm. Now, if you live somewhere south of the Mason-Dixon line, you're going to mow 50 times a year because the grass grows year-round in some parts of It's America. like you're never not mowing. Yeah, no. So <laughs> in America, there are 45 million lawns at, that consist of 30 million acres of lawn turf, and that's a statistic from 2020. And that's a lot of grass, but you say it hasn't always been that way. How did we get in so deep with this lawn obsession? It appears as though it all started around the 17th century when uh, wealthy aristocrats. Always the wealthy aristocrats. Yeah, I mean, you got people like to show off their wealth, you know, but there's some other reasons related to it. But there were some wealthy folks that domesticated land that surrounded their estates And they created lawns as part of the landscape architecture to reveal all the details of the building. And you can see that wherever there are turn-of-the-century buildings. The the effects on the building, the architectural effects, are close to the ground where your eyeballs are. That is fascinating. I would have never thought of that. So I would like to refer to that time as the birth of the turf curse. (laughs) And the seeds and some of the people came to America from Europe bringing these grass seeds and an appreciation for low grassy coverings on their land. Mm-hmm. So Kentucky bluegrass plants are just a relative of what came here from Europe. Oh. So it's Europe bluegrass, kind of. Hmm. It doesn't have quite the same ring, ring to know, it. I know, I <laughs> know. So not to say that Kentucky and other parts of the near south would, be co- would not be covered with beautiful grass without the introduction. It's likely some of the cultivars of the grass were already here because they were naturally occurring across the globe. Okay. A biologist named John Flack conducted a survey as part of his field work and research, and he asked an international cross-section of people a simple question in the context of land use. What would you like to see when you look out your back door was the question. Hmm. The cross-section included folks from India, France, Britain, Germany, China, Iran, Mexico, and others. That's a pretty broad global cross-section. Definitely. Surprisingly, their answers were relatively uniform. Responses shared the desire to see short grass and trees. See, I find that really interesting because it seems like short grass and trees wouldn't be prone to grow naturally in all of these environments. So, I mean, was that, did they just get on board with the trend that was introduced by the aristocrats? Is that what happened? I think that there's that. There's always... uh, life imitating art if you will there's that that's true you had all the like Manet. Yeah. yeah and then you have to think about it's it's kind of easy to think about it nowadays what if we had to live out in the wilderness what would you do you would make sure you have long lines of sight so that you make sure no uh wolves or lions or bad people 
We're right. creeping up on you. That's true. Right? That's so true. that's kind of one of the beginnings of it. And short grasses have been a product of domestication prior to the emergence of actual lawns. Okay. So it's not just aesthetics. There's a practical application, too. Maybe less these days. I don't think anybody's rolling up in most people's front yards, but it's possible. Yeah, and in some parts of the world they are. But, hey, the way these short grasses occurred, Sarah, was I think they used domestic animals like goats and sheep and uh, herding animals to eat the grass down, or they burned it down, Mm. either intentionally, and what grew back was a shorter stand. Also, slash-and-burn agriculture has been around for a long time, and it produces that in areas where you're not actually cultivating the soil after you've burned everything. Okay, that makes sense. But let me ask you this. Could we replace lawnmowers with goats? I think people have already done it. So uh, the mower is kind of something that tipped the scales for this tyranny of turf, if you will. In the 1800s, real-type mowers, that's the ones with the spirally blades Mm -hmm. that are are driven by an internal gear that uh, is runs off the wheel. Uh, they, they were introduced in the 1800s. The mower initially allowed for anyone to domesticate their stand, not just wealthy folks. And what is stand? Is that a yard? They're, they're ground. Okay. Yes. They're, they're growing ground. Okay. Yes. And it also allowed the average person to refine their stand without the cost of bringing in professionals because they've been around a long time. And at that time, landscape gardeners were the uh, occupational title of people that worked for households, typically affluent ones and businesses, and they were a cross between a gardener and an architect and an artist. So I guess that's an intersection since there's three disciplines yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Today that person is called a landscape architect. They're also called a horticulturist. And then vocational level, they're called a gardener. Okay. Yeah. The lawnmower led to lawn chemicals, lawn irrigation hardware, hoses and sprinklers, and other lawn-oriented tools like edging wheels, the strap-on spikes you put on your shoes Mm -hmm. for aerating, Mm -hmm. uh, lawn wagons, lawn sweeps. So there's capitalism coming to the rescue. There is. And can I say that there's, I mean, there's obviously a market out there for it, and neither of us are subscribing to this, but there are people, right, that just live for their lawns, like just can't get enough of it. I think some people are lawn hobbyists, actually. I think so, too. Yeah. The chemicals in the form of herbicides and fertilizers are largely hazardous and contaminate the water, soil, and the air when they're not properly applied. So that's a negative that I like to point out because there are some negatives associated with turf. Sure. Municipalities, residences, schools, hospitals all pollute with these chemicals, even though farmers are usually accused of the misapplication. Mm Mm-hmm. Some folks are tired of that cost, the time and the hazards, and have chosen to let metal gardens and other naturalized stands of living plants take over the place of lawns. Which I really love. I love that idea. It is a really interesting and neat way to go. And uh, metal gardens are native plant displays. They only need mowed two to five times a year. I mean, come on. I know. Think of what you can do with all that time. And... I always like to pound the drum of increased environmental awareness. That has helped to the over-governance of lawn ordinances that come from municipal organizations, let's call them, that require grass or turf over a more natural or relaxed approach. So I think that's something that I think that towns and cities might consider abandoning. 
I think so, too. If you own the house, the land, I think you should be able to do what you want with it. And that that's, takes some bravery on our part because you might be the person that's like a turf hobbyist. We've mentioned the turf hobbyist mm-hmm. in our discussion. But if you live next to the metal garden, I don't know, do you both just have to fall in love with each other and uh, do one to others and be good neighbors and just, yeah, that's my answer. Well, yeah, let's live and let live. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? As as with anything in life, I really don't believe in a prescribed aesthetic, you know, a way that we all have to be. Everyone should be able to express themselves through their lawns. And through how they culture their home. Yes. Because I feel the same way about somebody that wants to paint their house canary yellow. I think they have the right to do, do that. it. It's and, your house. That's right. Yeah. And I think that adds some spice to life. We should probably wrap up our conversation, Sarah, because it's probably time to go and mow again already. I, the, the neighbor's probably knocking on my door right now. Like, yeah. this grass is too long. And I'm going to be like, your house is too yellow. And, and there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Imposing <laughs> our tastes on other people. And there we go. All right. Well, if you have any questions about the gardener landscape, get in touch and Patrick Murphy will answer. I'm Sarah Nardi. Send your questions to WGLT.org slash grow.